I sighed a great sign of relief when there was no change in the capital gains tax, and we were pleasantly surprised by the relaxation given on the personal taxation. This is our second podcast start, and uh, it's a great day to be podcasting because we're talking uh, about the budget today. Huge event, great budget, and uh, I guess I'll I'll hand over to you. What are your thoughts? How do we how do we process this budget? Yeah, I think it's a great day to have a podcast, Varun. And I, for one, and markets were very nervous about this budget because the run up to the budget, there were a lot of uh, rumors. and discussions that there would be some rationalization of uh, capital gains tax and by rationalization they always mean higher taxes you <laughs> know that's the government's way of saying that uh, softening the blow uh, in order to tax you higher and the key thing is that uh, the last 2 3 years we've seen a surge of retail inflows one of the important elements of attracting retail into the stock market was the very friendly tax structure just 10% for long term 15% for short term and only one year lock in for long term and uh, that was a key marketing point for uh, everybody stock brokers investment advisors money managers and if there was any tinkering over there then that would affect retail flows and uh, retail flows are a good counterbalance to selling which comes from fii's so it was important for the health of the capital market that there be no uh, tinkering or any changes on that count and we had a huge relief actually i sighed a i sighed a great sign of relief when there was no change in the capital gains tax and we were pleasantly surprised by the relaxation given on the personal taxation i think we'll come to the personal taxation in a second i was thinking why don't we uh, why don't we structure this like the budget speak let's go through the headline figures let's talk about you know their impact and uh, then we you know go over the highlights and stuff like that so i guess just to recap um the total budget expenditure is 45 lakh crores 35 lakh crores is revenue expenditure and i think that mostly breaks out into um pensions interest payments you know state transfers central sector schemes defense subsidies uh you know no no big surprises there except for i think the really big number was uh, the the surge in capital expenditure i think 37% up to 10 lakh crores you know bodes well and it sort of it seems like it's a theme with this government they keep pushing capital expenditure um yeah this government wants to really build india we have seen the kind of infrastructure which has been built in the last 7 8 years has never been done in independent india ever and uh, in terms of road construction airports ports power plant renewable energy railways railways yeah the way uh, the modi government has gone after uh, rebuilding and modernizing india is extremely credit worthy and the dividends of this will come for many decades oh, going on sure, yeah sure. i think for uh, particularly for our millennials something that i found quite heartening is you know a large chunk of this capital expenditure is going towards you know environmentally friendly projects so to speak particularly you know things like national green hydrogen mission renewable energy um stuff stuff like that because you know what this does is as the indian economy continues to grow i think reducing the carbon intensity of that growth is going to be important 
I think we know we need to hit net zero by 2070. So uh, it's it's really it's nice to see that we're continuing to invest in renewable energy infrastructure uh, because I think if we if we become a global leader in that space, you know, then it's almost like we've we've jumped a step in the industrial revolution. That's right. I think uh, even the private sector is very much focused on ESG. And uh, we are seeing company after company have uh, very specific plans uh, for ensuring that uh, they are net zero. Do you know that Hindustan Zinc, one of India's leading mining company, they're going to spend a billion dollars over the next few years to convert their mining equipment from diesel to EV. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So this is the kind of uh, challenges that companies are taking up, that they want to become uh, more and more environmentally friendly. And EV is the way going forward. And right now, if you look at the way the power grid and the way the power generating capacity is coming up, I suspect that a large portion of it is through wind and solar power and a huge amount of capacity coming in over there. NTPC, which is one of the most polluting companies, sorry to say, all their expansion plans are now only renewable energy. Because, you know, I mean, we've reached a point with renewable energy where the marginal cost of solar power um, is lower than the marginal cost of any other form of electricity okay, generation. Yeah. So, I mean, at this point, it's not its not even a question of the environment. It's a question of economic, pure economic sense. I think governments recognize that and budget after budget, they have been giving a lot of encouragement uh, to green energy. And uh, if you notice in the budget, a lot of the customs duty on uh, setting up lithium-ion batteries, that has been re- retained, extended, and otherwise also expanded as well right? like i think there was customs exemptions for lithium-ion batteries on mobile phones and now they've expanded it to evs well, yeah. yeah so i think small baby steps from the government but uh, then you know the whole ecosystem comes into play in that manner yeah that's good that's good out of curiosity any any companies in particular you think that will benefit from you know the greening of the indian economy more than others? See, I think that all our Indian auto companies, uh, especially Mahindra and Mahindra and Tata Motors, they've got solid EV plans. And at the right, and the recent auto expo, Maruti also unveiled their strategy for EVs. So one of the biggest uh, beneficiaries of this entire move towards uh, green energy electrification is going to be the transportation sector. And many companies over there uh, will suddenly get a lot of benefit. It'll be easier to raise money, uh, more uh, conducive tax structure, and of course, a great deal of adoption by the consumer because all of us are getting aware that we need to be environmentally conscious. Uh, There are huge uh, booking uh, waiting lists for EV vehicles and new models are coming in all the time. Other companies which come to mind over here is Amaraja and Excite traditionally uh, lead acid battery manufacturers, but they are going massively into uh, lithium ion and other uh, EV batteries as well, which can be used for the auto sector and other applications as well. So these two companies also come to mind. But uh, on the whole, I think uh, if you're going to look at buying a stock just based on uh, environmentally friendly move or or, or that entire uh, trend, then there are not so many stocks that we can identify right now. Yeah. 
because it's still an emerging uh, nascent sector. You know, a fun fact, you were mentioning how the Indian automakers are well poised to, you know, benefit from the EV wave. Something I didn't realize. So, you know, Formula One, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Biggest, uh, biggest car competition in the world. So, obviously, there's no Indian car manufacturer in Formula One. I think the only major, you know, automobile manufacturers are Mercedes, Ferrari. Uh, I think Aston Martin is coming now. And I think Audi is going to be coming in soon. But interestingly, there's Formula E, which is the 100% electric uh, race. Yeah. And both Mahindra and Mahindra and Tata under the Jaguar brand have teams in Formula E. Oh, that's the first one for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are skipping a whole generation. Didn't yeah. do Formula 1, now we're going straight to E. E for Formula E. Formula e. Yeah. Yeah. So they've obviously, I mean, and they've been around in Formula E for a number of years. So clearly they've been putting that R&D investment. And uh, I'll pay them rich dividends going ahead. 100%. You know, that's the hope, right? It's, it's the hope is that India goes and skips that, you know, fossil fuel wave of industrial revolution goes straight to the green industrial revolution. So, you know, in light with that, uh, and we're talking about uh, uh, capital expenditure and government spending, uh, one important uh, uh, encouragement given by in this budget is the spending on railways. So, it's the government's uh, endeavor to increase more and more transportation through the railways. They have got a massive 50,000 wagons order at 23,000 crore. That tender is uh, you know, in the process. And a lot of capital expenditure is going into railways. Recently, um, Siemens won a huge order for EV engines. So instead of running on diesel, the, the engines will run on uh, electricity. Uh, there's a great deal of spending on electrifying all the tracks within the country. So what the government is trying to do over here is that use less diesel for transporting everything, goods as well as people, and use more and more railways. And years and years of neglect on spending on railways is now being corrected. And this budget and the previous one gave a lot of encouragement to railways. And mind you, that benefits a lot of stocks uh, engaged in the railway uh, ecosystem. There's IRFC, which finances the Indian railways. Uh, there is Railtech. Uh, there is uh, also um, a private sector company, Titagar Wagons, which makes actually the wagons which go the, the rolling stock. And there are other companies as well. I think uh, great times for them are going ahead. Uh, and also traditional um, engineering companies, be it ABB, Siemens, Larsen and Tobro, they all have got specific products for the railways. Uh, and uh, even a conditioning company like Amber Industries, they, they've got a subsidiary which does air conditioning of uh, passenger bogies. Yeah. So that entire uh, ecosystem around uh, railways and additional railway spending, that is going to do very well next three, four years or so. You know, I saw, I saw a statistic that you know, really highlights what you're saying. I think from 2014-15, from FY14 to FY23, the capital expenditure on railways has gone up ninefold. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, which is unbelievable. And, you know, obviously it's going to help all the companies in the, you know, the transportation sector. But what I find, you know, like really heartening in particular is every time you spend money on public transportation, the people that benefit the most are the lower income and the, you know, the poorest in the country. Because it's the cheapest form of transportation and the better the quality of public transportation the more people are able to move and, you know, increases opportunity 
and reduces cost. And so, you know, the better the Indian railway infrastructure. So, so this is Gati Shakti coming into play. See, the Modi government wants to reduce the cost of logistics by using more railways, improving the port efficiencies, improving the highways. And that entire project is called Gati Shakti. And that's really playing out over here because Indian logistics costs are amongst the highest in the world. And we're trying to correct that over there too, so as to make our, our economy and our industry more competitive. Yeah, I think, you know, sort of ties in very well with GST as well, right? Like you, you have a single taxation system across the country. Uh, I think there's a national logistics, ONDP, which is a national logistics platforms coming soon as well, reducing logistics costs. It's just more integration of the Indian economy. Absolutely. And talking of GST, second highest GST figure for the month of January, 1.56 lakh crores. So I think it's hard to find anything negative in this country, don't you think, Varun? I mean, uh, I hope you're not getting carried forward over here yeah, with our, with our that's bullishness. We're just fully <laughs> getting carried away, but it's fine. We're gonna just yeah. we're gonna you know keep getting carried away with it. Let's 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 come back to the figures. Okay. Uh, there may be something that's not as great. Um, I think one one point to highlight is the fiscal deficit for FY23 was 6.4%. Uh, the projected fiscal deficit for FY24 is meant to be 5.9%. Um, and there's an ambition to hit a fiscal deficit of 4.5% by FY26. Uh, That's any right. Thoughts? No, see, what has happened over the years is especially post this pandemic, Fiscal deficit numbers have gone a bit haywire. When I was, uh, you know, five, 10 years ago, when I used to analyze the budgets, we were like, you know, we used to frown at two and a half, three percent type of fiscal deficits. But now I think uh, economists, uh, experts, the, all the gurus, they seem to be fine with uh, these kind of numbers as well. But uh, you know, we need to be careful over here because we have a twin deficit. Fiscal deficit also is, as you said, 5.9%. And we have a trade deficit as well which keeps pressure on the currency. So th these are the two, I would say, structural issues which India needs to address. And mind you, we have addressed many structural issues over the last seven, eight years, and I've spoken about that as well. Uh, the kind of uh, retail money coming, acting as a counter force for uh, FII selling, oil prices, the entire, the way the energy pricing has taken place, so there's no direct hit on the balance sheet of the country. And of course, uh, we no longer have coalition governments at the center. I mean, these are the three structural problems which were there with the economy and the stock market. We've solved those. Now, the bigger challenge is, is to solve these twin deficits and get them within control and be amongst the best in class yeah. as compared to other I countries. I think the plan to get the fiscal deficit in under control particularly is to, is to hit 4.5% by FI26, which... If you think about it, right, you go from 6.4% to 5.9%, which is 50 bips. And FY24, FY25, FY26. So if you if you take this rate of change going forward, right, then you, and you assume a 50 bips change in FY25, you're at 5.4%. And you go another 50 bips for FY26, that leaves you at 4.9%. So I don't know how credible this point is. The change is going to be 0.8 every year. 0.8, okay. So that'll take you to 4.5%. That's what the That's okay. finance minister said. But let's see, you know, uh, I'm not, I mean, 
governments all over the world make promises on the fiscal deficit fund uh, on the fiscal front but they're not able to fulfill it and there are always uh, some exigencies or something which has come up uh, but let's see I mean, i'm hopeful this time around because uh, the tax revenues are buoyant and uh, the government when it is calculating all these fiscal deficits has taken a conservative growth in the tax revenues you know varun in the past we used to always have very optimistic uh, growth numbers for the tax revenues uh, which never came through and then we had so many other expenses which were outside the balance sheet of the country outside the budget and therefore the fiscal deficit figure was always a bit dodgy but uh, last since the modi government has come into power the one fantastic thing which they have done for the country's finances is they have consolidated everything in the central budget there are no off balance sheet uh, spending there was never any income off balance sheet anyway and they have taken conservative and realistic figures whenever they're making projections and that's brought a lot of trust and a lot of confidence in what the government is doing about its finances not only in india but globally as well mm-hmm. it's yet to be reflected in better credit uh, rating for our country but uh, this is something which is amazing which has happened that you know we have got credible figures to work with for the first time i think in decades yeah you know it's interesting you say it hasn't reflected in the credit rating so i did a little bit of digging and uh, obviously we know the fiscal deficit is 6.4 and 5.9 and you know the plan is to hit 4.5% but the more interesting number uh, okay fiscal deficit is is important but to me at least the more interesting interesting number is the primary deficit and uh, i guess just to outline what that is a little bit further if you take the interest expenditure the net interest expenditure out the primary deficit effectively represents the amount of money coming in and the amount of money going out excluding interest expenditure and interest receipts and capital receipts and against a 5.9% fiscal deficit our primary deficit is 2.3% which is i mean this ratio is pretty normal across most countries uh you know you have a fiscal deficit that's larger than the primary deficit because you have a, a giant debt stock but i was i was digging a little bit deeper and if we hit 4.4.5% 4. fiscal deficit in 2026 we'll have effectively a primary deficit of just 0.5%. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. Which means we're basically earning and spending the same amount. And even more interesting to me than that is should we hit that number, we'll have a primary deficit that's better than the US, better than China, and better than most of the euro area including France. That's fantastic. It's a very good observation. Uh Uh, let's hope that the yeah. uh, finance minister is able to achieve that and uh, we have of course a major election and hopefully beyond the may 2024 we'll have the same team in place so we can hold them to their commitment of a 4.5% uh, fiscal yeah. deficit yeah because i think it would be an it would be one hell of an achievement to have a practically zero primary deficit at that point you're just paying off your debt and uh, Uh, that would be a great achievement if we can make it happen. Enough of macro, I think. You know, our viewers <laughs> may get to bog down by five. I love macro more than you love macro, so yeah. that's that's on me. Let's that's let's great. talk about the next big subject: the taxation changes. Yes. yes. Right to the micro. Yes. So I think that intuitively, what the government is trying to uh, say over here, 
and this is a very fundamental change coming in is that they want to give the freedom to the average indian how they want to spend and how they want to save so let me just expand a little bit over here in the earlier tax regime there were tax breaks when you invested in public provident fund or a provident fund you bought a insurance policy you invested in a savings scheme uh so the government was trying to incentivize savings in specific asset classes then they introduced this new tax structure where it was a simple tax structure five slabs and it kept on increasing but there was no benefit given for any savings which you were made you were making but that particular tax structure did not succeed because it was too much too close to the earlier tax structure which offered incentives for saving and tax breaks over there and now they've tweaked that new tax structure from five uh, from eight slabs to five slabs and uh, they have increased the exemption the rebate as it's called from 5 lakhs to 7 lakhs and accordingly also all the tax slabs the actual rate of taxation has been curtailed in such a way that now i don't think it makes sense for anyone to be under the old tax regime you'd rather be under the new tax regime now i'm sure when you compare the actual tax outflow from the old tax regime to the new tax regime there may not be a material difference but your cash flows are better because earlier a large chunk of your salary or of your income was going into specific savings products now you have the choice you can invest that additional cash flow either into equities the same traditional asset classes you were investing in earlier ppf insurance policies so on so forth real estate reads anything you want so the government is trying to make you more responsible is trying to make you more independent that you plan your finances whichever way you like it and uh, i think great deal of relief has been given over there so it provides a flexibility somebody who's young who's got a great uh, career ahead of them they may indulge in more spending because that's much more pocket coming in that much that much more cash is coming into their wallet because there are no savings perhaps no savings that they want to compulsorily have to do and as you grow older you can decide which asset classes you want to invest in depending upon your risk appetite and comfort levels so this is a very different form of thinking where the government is trying to empower you that you take your decisions and i think that's wonderful my sense is that uh, companies which are engaged in consumption which provide uh, services products for consumption they will do very well because of this particular move uh, companies engaged in financial products asset management companies wealth managers stock brokers i think they will also benefit because there is definitely a tilt towards more and more financial products saving insurance companies as well but of course they got hit elsewhere so this is a very different um, uh, sort of a turn which we are taking when it comes to savings and spending at the household level and it will not be visible in this year or next year but you know over a 5 10 year period there'll be huge changes in the way people are spending uh where they are saving and where they are saving and many opportunities will come over there as well uh, and many stocks will come you know when you take a 3 to 5 year top of view you will find many stocks and many companies benefiting because of this trend which is going to get more and more uh, evolve more and more and become stronger and stronger going ahead
one notable omission from this budget that uh, there's a huge positive, especially in a in a pre-election year. Um, I think there's been no giant sops, no large subsidies, no expansion of the ravedi culture, so to speak. Yeah, that's right. And you know why? I mean, I think it's because uh, maybe 2024 is a given for them. You want to do a populist budget and, uh, you know, take all those measures when you're not sure of your position. But hey, I mean, look at the way the political landscape is just now. I think there's still no uh, credible opposition to BJP. The opposition parties have not yet completely got their act in order. Nothing has changed from last uh, election to now. So there is no need for the government to go for any populist policies. And generally, I think the thinking also of the Modi government has been long term, nation building, empowering the individual, providing more and more resources to the uh, absolutely the, the, the needy, the people at the bottom of the, uh, you know, the ladder. And that's played out really well over here. So I think that uh, that's perfectly fine. And uh, just to touch upon something which we missed when we talk about the fiscal deficit, it just came to mind. I hope you don't mind we're going a little back and sure, forth. Sure. <coughs> it's a very important uh, uh, element here is that the total borrowing of the government is within what the economists are expecting. I don't have the figure offhand. I think I sent it to you. <laughs> yeah. So Net eleven point eight lakh crores yeah. market borrowing. Yeah. So that's that's Gross very much fourteen point. Yeah. But that that is a crores. very very credible number, and what that means is that government borrowing will remain in control, and at a time when inflation is slightly on the higher side and interest rates are moving up as it is because of inflation. If you have the government borrowing in control then there will be more resources available for lending to the private sector. And at this point of time, the private sector and retail lending really requires a great deal of uh, uh, resources and uh, money to be lent over there. And I'll tell you why. Because two major sectors from the retail lending point of view, automobiles and real estate, they've started to do really well. Volumes are revving up phenomenally well in those two sectors and in order to keep the momentum going we need to grease it with low interest rates or reasonable interest rates and availability of capital availability of credit so if the interest rates are kept in check because of lower government borrowing then these two engines of growth can do just fine and these engines have got multiplier effect in the economy because a lot of other sectors are uh, very deeply connected to these two large growth engines. Plus, in particular, I think both automobiles and real estate and by extension construction are very employment intensive. Exactly. Exactly. You said it right. So if they grow well, you have an expansion in employment, you have an expansion in employment, you have you know rise in incomes, you have rise in incomes, you have more distributive effect on income, Absolutely. stronger growth. And after many years, we are seeing an uptick in CAPEX, private CAPEX. So private CAPEX also needs to be funded by debt. So if interest rates are low over there, then that much more the private sector is encouraged to on uh, setting up new capacities. Well, you say this, but I have a question then, right? Like, you, I mean, we've talked about how borrowings are within expectations. We expect to see interest rates moderate. We expect to see an expansion in private credit. But 
and maybe this is entirely unrelated, but PSU banks did really badly this, this session. I mean, I think the fall is like five, six percent, something, something like that. I mean, why? Is there something, some fundamental reason that we missed discussing something? I think the sentiment, and I will not mince words here, the sentiment in PSU banks has got impacted because of their exposure to the Adani group. And you know all the controversy surrounding the group. Um, it's all over the news. And I think that was one of the reasons why the markets uh, you know, closed at these levels today, despite there being such a good budget. So that's having an effect uh, on PSU banks per se. Uh, right now, I think the entire Adani group is, uh, I mean, there's no, there are no, I would say, uh, uh, issues with their repayment capability. But, you know, the street behaves in sentiment. a particular way, sentiment. Yeah, <clears throat> that's what's happening over here. Uh, but, you know, these things are short term and this storm also will blow over. And uh, we will start focusing on the larger picture, the fundamentals and how fantastic this budget has been. Uh, so I think it's just a matter of time before people realize what uh, a beautiful continuation this budget has been from all the policies that the government has been following. That's great news. Um, final question, and I guess we're done for today. If you had to sum the budget up in 30 seconds or less to someone that knows nothing about finance, how do we, how do we tell them about you know, what happened today? So we can tell them that the nation's finances are in uh, very good shape. Uh, to the layman, we can assure that uh, uh, you know, you're going to have more money in your pocket, whichever way you want to spend or save it. And wherever you want to spend or whichever asset class you want to save it, uh, you're going to have more options, more flexibility. You're going to be empowered. And the third point is that uh, interest rates for you will remain stable and these things these are important you know because every household every human being has a long-term plan in place they want to achieve something financial goals you know what we have been working for helping people achieve their financial goals uh, and financial goals can be achieved when there is a stability in the economy the stability in interest rate the stability in taxation and that is what this government offers to you a great deal of stability you know, we had this fear about uh, tinkering with capital gains tax, but that didn't happen. Corporate taxes have been stable for years on end. GST rates have been stable. I think when when things are calm, then the mind is at peace. Then you can you know really do great things in terms of uh, furthering your own uh, careers, or and of course taking the nation building along with you. All right. I mean that was way more than thirty seconds, but that's okay. It was a nice budget, so we're going to let that go. And uh, yeah, I think that's that's all we've got for today. Thank you, Arun. I think great session we had and I hope, uh, you know, we get a good response. And of course, you're open to taking questions um, yeah, from the viewers. Yeah, so. I think we'll, uh, we'll try and get some questions for the next podcast onwards.